Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Real Sankara Hours. Real Sankara Hours. Um, it's uh, your favorite black Marxist political podcast. Um, follow us at Sankara Hours on Twitter. And to be a patron and to help support independent black media, uh, become a patron for $5 a month. Patreon.com slash Real Sankara Hours. Um, and yeah, $5 a month gets you bonus episodes. Anywhere between like $1 to $4 a month um, does not get you bonus episodes, but it helps keep the podcast afloat. But if you don't want to be a patron and just want to make a one-time donation, you can um, donate to our PayPal. It's paypal.me slash real sun car hours. That's going to be in the show notes as well. So if you want to, if you want to make a one-time donation, uh, that's, that's fine as well. So that's that, that said, you should subscribe because it's good stuff. What did we talk about last week? Oh, um, yeah. We finished, uh, we we're discussing uh, Revolutionary Suicide by Huey Newton. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's always good content. That it's usually more theoretical and a little more free flowing, um, yeah. less topical. But it de- definitely would recommend checking it out if you like this podcast which presumably you do if you're listening to it yeah so uh today is june 10th 2021 and we're going to be talking about um ethiopia namibia and uh the pandemic those are the topics for on basically today's agenda so anyway yeah we'll introduce ourselves i'm adam hudson follow me at adam hudson fiber on twitter or you don't have to follow me on twitter because that's that's fine as well and this is Peter I'm Gun. Uh, follow me at Peter or don't, uh, as as we always say. Um, does it really does not matter. Yeah, um, I've been kind of MIA from Twitter lately. Just it actually feels pretty good to not really pay attention that much to Twitter. But um, oh, I do want to make an announcement. Uh, an an important announcement. So I'm in um. The All African People's Revolutionary Party is the basically the ideology of uh, Kwame Nkrumah and Ahmed Sikyo Toure, and um, <clears throat> one of my um, comrades, uh, Inem Richardson, she she is in uh, Burkina Faso, which is the land of upright men. Um, named uh, Thomas Ankara changed the name to Land of Upright Men. Uh, so she's in Burkina Faso right now, and she's helping to organize. Uh, to build a pan-African community library in uh, Burkina Faso. So, uh, I mean, that's it, that's just, you know, an, a really amazing project. And, uh, you know, as a podcast that's named after Thomas Sankara, I, I thought it'd be very fitting to um, inc- uh, give give that a shout-out and then also uh, put the go... We're going to put the GoFundMe link um, in the show notes as well. So... Yeah, they're raising money to build a uh, a community library in in Burkina Faso, a Pan African community library. So, um, yeah, and it's is to uh, basically instill like revolutionary Pan African uh, uh, political political education. And if I recall correctly, it's the library is going to be in um, in Ouagadougou, in Burkina Faso. So. Um, yeah, 
So the GoFundMe link will be in the show notes. And, um, you know, definitely if you appreciate the spirit of this podcast, um, definitely support uh, this project as well. Yeah. So it's a revolutionary pan-African political education project uh, for a community library in Burkina Faso. So the GoFundMe link will be in there. And uh, yeah, help. It was organized. It's being organized by one of my comrades in the All African People's Revolutionary Party. So, anyway, <clears throat> now that that's out of the way, yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, we'll talk about. Um, uh, yeah, let's get into Ethiopia first. Right? Yeah, um, you know, the uh, Ethiopia and Eritrea have been sort of teaming up in a conflict against the Tigrayan People's uh, Liberation Front. I mean, it's been going on for a while, but sort of the thing that the new development, uh, which, uh, you know, led us to, or led me at least to have the need, feel the need to comment on it since, you know, we are in the belly of the beast of the Imperial Hegemon is that the U.S. State Department, uh, was announced like a week and a half ago, or I think it's like two weeks ago at this point that it was san- putting sanctions on uh, sanctions on Ethiopian government officials uh, because of what reported, you know, human rights abuses and atrocities and, and such things. I mean, on some level, it is the typical, uh, the, t- the typical sort of framework for when the U.S. decides to sanction people, which is not to say that, uh, you know, there aren't, you know, lots of bad things going on in the conflict, but it is obviously a little more complicated. And, you know, people who are attuned to sort of the machinations of the imperial machine, I mean, that that is something that should, uh, you know, set your antenna off. Or maybe, you know, we were all wrong. And this time, the U.S. is just honestly trying to promote human rights. Uh, You know, they're just trying to do the right thing, right? Um, or, or maybe not. Uh, so most likely not. I mean, yeah. Um, so, you know, this is a conflict that like it, I don't want to say goes back centuries, but it goes back a long time and it's sort of left over from a lot of kind of stuff from the seventies. Uh, if you want a better, like actual take on it from someone who is Eritrean, I would Highly recommend, uh, I believe it's called Horn of Africa Leftist. They have a podcast also on Spotify. And he sort of goes through the entire history um, of Ethiopia and colonialism and Eritrea and Tigray. But I guess sort of the, the short history is that, um, you know, after sort of after repelling the Italians in the 30s, right, then... Haile Selassie sort of was installed as, as emperor, um, and Ethiopia like is 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 kind of more of an empire in the sense that there are a bunch of different nationalities that were under the Ethiopian Empire. So in seventy four, when Haile Selassie, yes, that Haile Selassie from Rastafarianism, uh, same one. Uh, was overthrown by the Derg, which was a self-proclaimed uh, communist 
government, which, you know, they, 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 they're looked on pretty unfavorably. Uh, and I'm not, this isn't like a sort of widespread defense of them, but it is to say that, uh, certainly the U S as it, you know, doing as it does in Africa in the post-colonial era, era sought to, uh, Thought to fund a number of sort of uh, separatist and national liberation movements, and the biggest one was the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, which uh, is based in the Tigray region, which is like in the northern part of Ethiopia, and uh, basically, you know, there was kind of an insurgency until 1990 when the derg was overthrown and then i think the tplf was kind of the ruling party in ethiopia it had a hegemonic position um until very recently um and so but it still is sort of it still is like an actual army like there are 250,000 people i guess it's kind of like hezbollah in the sense that mm. like it's a militia it's like a full-scale militia like operating inside of the country so uh, okay uh, yeah i guess th- i guess that's the closest analogy i can come up with and uh you know after in the 90s right when ethiopia and eritrea were at war uh the tplf was sort of on the ethiopian side against eritrea i think but then but, you know, I, then 2018, the new president, Abiy Ahmed, right, formed a peace deal with the new Ethiopian president, formed a peace deal with Eritrea. Uh, and he won the Nobel Peace Prize for it, which is why it's kind of, I guess, ironic. But then again, Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize. So how much does it mean? As did Henry Kissinger. But, uh, <laughs> but oh, all that is to say that sort of, yeah, then the next move, because Abiy Ahmed is sort of, he's kind, he is kind of an Obama-type figure. He's very young, and he's, I mean, his main strategy is to sort of encourage a lot of foreign investment into Ethiopia to sort of get it to, uh, you know, an economic status as befitting of, like, a country of its, you know, size and history and and uh, stature, right? Uh, so... Part of that is the so part of that is the is teaming up with Eritrea against the TPLF, but also a lot of that foreign investment is coming from China, and I think this is because I've been trying to figure out an angle on this stuff, uh, you know, because when because obviously the U.S. is never just uh, on the right side of anything. It's not like being contrarian, like that is how to understand the system and to understand international relations. Um, and and so there's definitely a new calculus, uh, I think, as sort of the U.S. is repositioning itself in, the in I guess, what it's trying to do, the new Cold War against China. And I think that is kind of a big part of the underlying motivations as to why the U.S. would take this action, because it is really quite stupid um, because it's not going to do anything. Um, And like Americans don't really care. Like the ones who are actually paying attention and are anti-imperialist, obviously 
can see through it and the ones who aren't like don't care and they like they still have like a very you know regressive image of ethiopia in their heads anyway um and so yeah i think i think and also but also that ethiopia is a uh like is an important part in the region, an important partner, and like has been a U.S. ally, and so now it's like, oh, now you're going to sanction me, like, like put it like that is that is a move that one does not take with one's friends, right? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It 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 does seem it seems it would have to seem that alongside with sort of uh, other things like. Uh, uh, Ethiopia is tr- one of their kind of foreign investment projects is trying to build a dam on the Nile River and that's causing uh, uh, Sisi the general president of of Egypt to uh, to you know speak out and and you know start now I get because that because you know how imperialists do it they always try to get like the countries to fight each other so it's like they're going to try and get Egypt to carry out um there be you know to do their dirty work or like how they're trying to get india to fight china instead of having to do it themselves um so i think i think that that was just my take on it honestly are obviously i'm not an expert uh you know i'm just and people say that maybe americans shouldn't you know comment on this stuff but i figure that uh, as, you know, as we are trying to sort of develop and explicate pan, pan-Africanism in sort of like the real 21st century context of international relations, I wanted to take a little bit of time to, you know, just sort of acknowledge that and try and provide a bit of context into it because it's it's one of those things that showed up in the news cycle and then went away and, you know, lot of bad opinions on twitter but is not something that anyone really seems to be taking the time to actually understand and speaking of ethiopia being an ally during um this is from 2006 to 2009 ethiopia invaded somalia to have like a more um pro i guess like pro ethiopia friendly and the context for that was um, you know, if you take it way back to uh, Black Hawk Down, not just the movie, but the actual like incident in Somalia, like there was um, Somalia has its own complicated history, um, and I don't want to go too deep into it, but um, basically, um, after that incident, like uh, Al Shabaab uh, kind of rose because um, they they kind of helped provide they kind of provided some sense of uh i don't want to say order but they provided like kind of social services that people wanted in in the context of 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 that like of all the warlords uh basically um governing somalia so almost similar to like uh hamas and gaza like like i i I don't want to say yeah i don't want to say similar in that like they both initially got funding from imperialist entities i mean yeah you could i mean you could probably say that but um i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go that go down that route but my point is that um 
uh, they, they um, Bob rose to power in the context of like the aftermath of Black Hawk Down and the the warlords, basically. So when Al Shabab got stronger, uh, you know, there is tension between Ethiopia and Somalia. So yeah. Ethiopia invaded Somalia, and the U.S. government supported Ethiopia. With, by giving a lot of like air support and military aid and stuff like that and so um that just basically exacerbated the support for like people wanting to join al-shabaab mostly as like to kind of fight against uh ethiopia um but like you know when there's there's been drone strikes in Somal- somalia for quite a while and when people talk about like, oh, we need to fight Al Shabaab and they're Al Qaeda, like Al Shabaab isn't really like officially Al Qaeda linked. I mean, there's a similar, well, because I, I get tired of the term when people say like, oh, these are all jihadists, they're all Al Qaeda linked. When it's like, no, these are like just sort of, they're not, they're not really like that closely affiliated with each other in. I mean, in terms of like, okay, like their interpretation of Islam, if you want to get that deep into it, yeah, it's a pretty, I guess you could say like reactionary interpretation. But I mean, you know, the but the reason why people join those ty- types of groups isn't always because of the of some sort of religious fervor. It's usually because you know, for um, you know, those a sense of purpose and. You know, or just like a grievance against like, you know, the U.S. or any uh, invading entity. So my point is that like Al-Shabaab rose to power in the context of the U.S. backed Ethiopian invasion of Somalia. And so when you when you hear like um, uh, reports of drone strikes in Somalia and saying like, oh, we killed Al-Shabaab targets. This is a fight against uh, the war on terror. uh yeah, read the fine print on that, um, because it it's uh, the invasion of Somalia like made just like made the situation worse. Um, and again, it was backed by the U.S. government. Yeah, and um, that I mean, and that is really like kind of by design. I mean, I yeah, I I we should probably even do like a whole episode on Black Hawk Down at some point. Uh, but I yeah, definitely at that at that moment like. Ethiopia can have the justification of like it has to protect its national security. And that's, you know, that's not a defense, but it is just an acknowledgement that like any state does that. If they have, they see that as their right, that like if some, if there's instability in a neighboring country and they believe that threatens to destabilize their country, then they, you know, feel that they have the right to intervene. And I mean, whether or not you see that as legitimate and, obviously in different circumstances um and that and, you know you can and, argue that it is but it is a useful thing for the imperialist game in africa which is mostly to get everyone to k- keep fighting each other and that's the thing that has to be understood is that it isn't it isn't not to just be like oh you know they're always fighting each other like there are real conflicts um and that people have real interest and it's not like illegitimate for them to act on them though obviously other people have criticisms of them but it's also to understand that you know these actual conflicts and contradictions are playing out in the context of 
an imperial scheme designed to keep continent in persistently war-torn. Yeah, and also, like, when it comes to Al-Shabaab, like, um, in terms of their funding, uh, I haven't seen any evidence so far of them taking, like, money from the U.S. government. But when, when we're talking about Hamas, they were funded by Israel as, like, a wedge against, uh, you know, secular, left-wing, Palestinian, like, national, uh, like, the P- at the time, the PLO, now Fatah. But, so, yeah, so, like, when people talk about, like, Oh, Hamas, like they're extremists, like, you know, again, read the fine print on that because Israel gave support to Hamas as like a wedge against like secular Palestinian nationalists. So, um, yeah, without, but the thing is, even with some of these, like, uh, I, I keep kind of, you know, trying to find a right term, quote unquote, Islamist groups, you know, uh, some of them, you know, might get like, maybe indirect support from certain segments of like the u.s war machine because it's uh convenient at the time but yeah when it comes to al-shabaab i haven't seen any evidence of them taking money from the u.s government but there is like a good there's this good um uh costs of war by the watson institute they have like a pretty good report about like basically the costs of war in somalia and yeah and, and the civilian casualties of u.s drone strikes um and so yeah like um the, the this is part of the reason why pan-africanism has not been able to kick off to its fullest extent in africa because of not just the united states but definitely france um has been fucking meddling in africa for a long time uh you know if you want to look up histories of like coups and assassinations in africa um, you can trace it back to France's dirty ass hand. Um, and actually, speaking of which, that will be a good segue to Namibia. So, um, it was just announced recently. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. Let me pull up the article. Um, yeah, like a, at least two weeks ago that Germany has agreed to pay Namibia 1.1 billion euros which is about um in in US dollars that's approximately 1.35 billion US dollars. Um so basically Germany officially re- uh recognized and apologized uh for its genocide in Namibia in the early 1900s. So let, I'm I'm going I'm going to give some context context to this. Uh let's see. So I'm gonna read a couple paragraphs from this New York Times article because it, it, it'll help contact it. It sum, sums up the what happened. So, uh, Germany was a minor colonial power in Africa, especially compared to Britain and France. But among its few possessions, Namibia, then called Southwest Africa, was its most prized African colony. Thousands of German settlers grabbed land and cattle from local residents. Even today, many German tourists visit Namibia, especially. Uh, I don't speak German. I'm going to butcher these names. So, uh, Swakopmund, a city in Namibia's Atlantic coast, where the restaurant menus serve German food and beer, and where where well-preserved colonial-era buildings line streets named after German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck. The German settlers encountered the fiercest of resistance from two ethnic groups, the Heroro, traditional cattle herders, and the Nama. To quell the opposition... Germany dispatched Lothar von Trotha, 
a military commander who had earned a fierce reputation in Germany's possessions in Asia and East Africa. In Namibia, he led what was called the Schutztruppe or Protection Force. He issued a warning in 1904 that every Herero with or without rifles, with or without cattle, will be shot. He also warned that he will no longer take in women or children, but, quote, drive them back to their people or have them shot, end quote. The following year, he issued a similar, similar warning to the Nama, the second ethnic group targeted for extermination. Of a population totaling 100,000, about 80, 80%, 80, 80% of all Hiroro are believed to have died, according to historians. German soldiers shot, shot, German soldiers shot Hiroro, hanged them, drove them into the desert, and sealed off watering holes to stop survivors from returning. Prisoners were held and died in concentration cramps. About 10,000 people from the Nama ethnic group, about half the total population at the time, are also believed to have died. German experts believe that the genocide of the Hiroro and Nama foreshadowed Nazi ideology and their holocaust. In their African colony, German colonial officers studied studying eugenics, a discredited belief in improving the human race through selective breeding, are believed to have developed ideas about racial purity and the mixing of races. Hundreds of skulls of victims were sent to Germany for examination. In recent years, some have been returned to Namibia in one of the most emotional and contentious aspects of the history of the genocide. So basically, yeah, at like base, the beginning of the 20th century, Germany committed the first genocide of the century in Namibia, in their colony in Namibia. Um, at the time, like this is you know, um, after the Berlin Conference, the scramble for Africa, all these European powers carved up their spheres of influence in Africa. France mostly got West Africa, and then Britain got a little bit of West Africa, but a ton of East Africa. Uh, Germany got Namibia and also uh, Tanzania. So, um, so yeah, so Germany committed a genocide in Namibia, and, um, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, late May... Um, Angela Merkel's uh, government of Germany officially recognized the genocide of the Hiroa and Nama people at the beginning of the 20th century. And it's, they're paying 1.1 billion euros, which is $1.35 billion, to the Namibian government. And keep in mind, this is not um, reparations. So there's an article in The Guardian that, that uh, explains this. There's... Uh, you know, read the fine print, basically. So, uh, so, so it says, um, okay, so I'm going to read these three paragraphs. Of the overall sum, more than a billion euros will go towards projects relating to land reform, rural infrastructure, water supply, and professional training. Communities of Hiroa and Nama descendants, which form ethnic minorities in all the seven affected regions, are meant to be involved in the development of the specific projects. Some 50 million euros, this is from The Guardian, so um, euros, I think that that's probably like maybe a little bit over $50 million in U.S., will go towards setting up a foundation for reconciliation between the two states, including cultural projects and youth exchange programs. Now, here's the fine print. The text of the Joint Dec Declaration calls the atrocities committed by German troops a genocide, but omits the words reparations or compensation, a move born out of fear that such language could set a legal precedent for similar claims from, from other nations. So the money that Germany is giving 
is not reparations. They're calling it um, reconciliation. So it's basically like paying the Namibian government. It's like, hey, we're sorry. Here's some money. It's not real reparations. This is reconciliation. And uh, it, this is actually what, okay, the German foreign minister Heiko Maas said in the statement. Uh, he said, quote, our aim was and is to find a joint a joint path to genuine reconciliation in remembrance of the victims. That includes our naming the events of the German colonial era in today's Namibia, and particularly the atrocities between 1904 and 1908 unsparingly and without euphemisms. We will now officially call these events what they were from today's perspective, a genocide, end quote. So they're calling it genuine reconciliation. Um, that That is like, I mean, so Germany... They got some fucking nerve. They literally committed a genocide, the first genocide of the 20th century, before their more their most well-known genocide against you know Jews in Europe during World War II. And they're like, okay, we're just gonna pay for reconciliation. It's a joint path, like oh, so a joint path between the fucking country that committed the genocide and the people who were victims of the genocide. So it's a joint path to reconciliation. Like and and thankfully, the survivors groups, um, the groups who make up the descendants of the survivors, they've been very very critical of the framing of the negotiations, and are not supporting the Namibian government's stance. Um, and so yeah, I think one of the leaders, yeah, one of the leaders has criticized the government for not ins- not insisting on financial reparations. Uh, he said when German president. Uh, Frank Walter Steinmeier comes to Namibia to render the apology. We will embarrass him. He told local media. Um, so they want financial reparations. They want something more yeah. substantive than just like, oh, here's some money for some. Yeah, a billion project. dollars is fucking nothing from Germany. You know, the right economic hegemon of Europe. Like it, it's. I mean, that's really insulting. They really should just not give them anything. I, I kind of feel. And I always, I always find, because France does the same thing, and I always find it, I mean, it is a very European mentality to be like, okay, well, how can, how can we repay, for all, you know, how can we make up for all the things, you know, we did to your country? I know, uh, wouldn't it be great if you all get to study and move here, right? You know, you get <laughs> to come to Germany. That's awesome, right? Isn't that what you always wanted? Hmm. Uh, you know, and it's like, I don't, I don't. I don't understand why that is always like seen as this thing that's going to like repair the damage and not continue this, you know, relationship. It's I it's very weird how it's like, yes, after all the atrocities we've done, we still need to. Ha- it seems like you would just want to be like, fuck off to those countries. Right. Like, just leave us alone. But, right. uh, you know, then then they would get all sad and they, you know, want to feel like they can do something to make it right but then that's what it becomes about it becomes about managing the feelings of the colonizers and oppressors it doesn't have anything to do with like actually rectifying the situation right and i wanted to i brought this up because i think this this uh story has um very important ramifications for the push for reparations for um, black people, descendants, of, specifically descendants of enslaved Africans who were brought to the United States, um, because like I hear I've yeah uh, 
we already did our episode on ados and you know i have my criticisms and i i don't want to go too deep in that because i know like oh you're a pan-africans you you're self-hating african-american blah 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 i i've i've heard that shit on twitter but is that what that's what they say you're a self-hying why are, I, I've, I've heard I've heard not to me directly, but to like African-Americans that, who, who that doesn't even that doesn't even make sense. Like you respect yourself too much to be American. I, right. I that's pretty, I see it. Do, right. So actually, I'm, I'm glad you said that. So like, OK, as somebody who is like, you know, African-American, like full blooded, like I know my lineage. So I'm going to just in terms of I'll just my identity, who I am, I'll state it because actually it will matter in the context of what what reparations actually is so yes both sides of my family descendants of enslaved africans brought to the united states different parts i have cousins who've done dna tests i could trace part of my lineage to sierra leone and then also i think like one of my cousins did a dna test and we found like nigeria so basically my lineage i am of west african lineage majority like my family photos like it's a sea of blackness and so i i'm a person of african descent that's who i am and specifically a person of west african descent because my people yeah if you look at the slave trade a lot of africans were taken from west africa and central africa so a lot of my people were taken from primarily west africa so my race of black i still identify as black because because of the reality of the united states i am black but my lineage i'm a person of african descent my ethnicity african-american descent of an enslaved africans brought to the united states african-american that's my ethnicity we we have a unique ethnic and cultural heritage here that i lay claim to uh and i'm also an african diaspora and yeah to your point peter like i i don't i don't tie all of my identity just to the united states i'm american an american national not of volition but that's just one part of my identity uh so yeah some people use like the reparations claim for black americans african americans new africans i like that term by the way we should you be i want to i like the term new african i'm new african damn it all right so uh people have been using the 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 specific claim of of new africans for reparations in the united states as like some push for like u.s jingoism and waving the american flag and that's just like that that just just makes you want to just to to use a claim of our reparations claim to further u.s jingoism i i want nothing to do with but i wanted to kind of set up like who i am and my lineage because it actually does tie into what reparations is so there i was looking up like there is reparations law like reparations is like part of international human rights and humanitarian law and so there are international legal principles that have been outlined when it comes to what reparations is and actually it's a pretty good guideline and i'm gonna go through this and when i spell it out you'll see like how germany has not lived up to it but also i think it's it's provides an important uh lesson for the call for reparations here in the united states because outside of like you know the pan-african versus ados argument like there are people like on the left united states who uh say they support reparations for black people but you know i'm gonna kind of politely call them in too because i think a lot of people when they talk about reparations don't know what reparations actually is 
and the principle of it. And I think some people kind of jump on the reparations bandwagon because I don't know, they probably got some fucking guilt that they got to work out and are just like, they just want the race problem to go away. So, so they're like, okay, yeah, let's support reparations because uh, we don't want black people to con- complain about racism anymore. So yeah, I just pay them so they can just shut up. And I think if, if we don't spell out clearly what reparations is in terms of its principles and tie it to human rights and self-determination, to me, I think what it's going to amount to is like a buyout, which is very similar to what Germany's doing to the Namibian people. And thankfully, the Hiroa and Nama people, they're not having it. So that's why I think there's a lesson. So anyway, I'm reading from this, uh, it's called Repar- reparationslaw.com. And so there's five, there's five forms of reparations. So one is restitution, two is compensation, three is re- rehabilitation, four is satisfaction, and five is our guarantees of non-repetition. So restitution means um, uh, restore the victim to the original situation before the gross violations of international human rights law and serious violations of international humanitarian law occurred. So examples of restitution include restoration of liberty, enjoyment of human rights, identity, family life, and citizenship, return to one's place of residence, restoration of employment, and return of property. So in this case, I think like, you know, when it comes to, I think like descendants of enslaved Africans in the diaspora, say like reclaiming indigenous African culture, that is a form of restitution. So I think like being proud of one's African lineage and claiming having a claim to indigenous African culture to me should be on, on the table when it comes to reparations. If we're talking about like what it actually means as a form of restitution. Now, citizenship, I know there are certain countries like Sierra Leone and like Sierra Leone. I know if you can trace your lineage to any of the ethnic groups in Sierra Leone, you can get citizenship. So Ghana, people talk about like, you know, the year of return in Ghana there, there's some good things. There's some like things where Ghana is is could could be doing more, um, but like I think the kind of bridge building between the diaspora and Africa is really important when it comes to restitution for the transatlantic slave trade. But also, I think like in the United States, let's say people don't want to like you know, uh, reconnect with Africa. I do think the U.S. government should like, um, you know, res- restore the property that we lost. Uh, during slavery and, and Jim Crow and all that shit and give us the opportunity to rebuild ourselves. That's the form of restitution. So then there's compensation. That's pretty obvious. That's basically like uh, financial compensation for like, you know, financial damages as a result of like um, the, the violation. So slavery or genocide. So yeah, the damage giving rise to compensation, this is what it says, may result from physical or mental harm lost opportunities including employment education and social benefits moral damage costs required for legal or expert assistance medicine and medical services and psychological and social services i think like you know we're talking about uh compensation like that money could help us like rebuild once you know we're given like land right because land is important to help rebuild uh rehabilitation i mean that's medical and psychological care um satisfaction it says includes a broad range of measures including verification of the facts and full public disclosure of the truth an official declaration or or a judicial decision restoring the dignity reputation and rights of the victim i.e the search for the disappeared the recovery and reburial 
of remains, public apologies, judicial and administrative sanctions, commemoration, and human rights training. The fifth one, I think this is really important. It says guarantees of non-repetition, which comprise broad structural measures of a policy nature, such as institutional reforms, aiming at civilian control over military and security forces, strengthening judicial independence, the protection of human rights defenders, the promotion of human rights standards in public service, law enforcement, the media, industry, and psychological and social services. So I would actually extend guarantees of non-repetition as like basically the entire system of white supremacy that slavery built should be destroyed. Because let's say we get reparations, right? Financial Really, when people talk about reparations, what they really mean is financial compensation. That's one aspect of reparations. But so let's be specific. When people usually talk about reparations here in the U.S., for the most part, they're referring to financial compensation for unpaid slave labor and also losses during Jim Crow. But I I think financial. Go go ahead. Okay. Yeah. And I I just want to say with that, I mean, I certainly not like the important part that's not the you know end goal but i feel like especially with the pandemic is you know the dollar the price figure is usually like one and a half trillion mm-hmm. and seeing how that the u.s demonstrated they can just generate that money out of thin air and just hand it out hand over fist to corporations like it is clearly something that the u.s is fiscally capable of doing mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely and like I also think, like, you know, since the transatlantic slave trade was global in scale, then then compensation, redistribution of wealth has to be global in scale. So it can't just be the United States. It also has to be Great Britain, France, uh, Spain and Portugal. I mean, Spain and Portugal really got to pay the fuck up. Like, I, 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 I kind of get annoyed when we talk about reparations. It's always just like the U.S. and Britain. But then Spain and Portugal are left off the hook. And I I want to put Spain and Portugal right in the fucking crosshairs when it comes to that shit. Because they were the first, they got first dibs on the slave trade. So they're not getting let off the hook. And as somebody who lives in California and is well aware of Spain's colonial mm-hmm. history, Spain has a lot of reparations to pay. Not just to the descendants of enslaved Africans, but also like, you know, the the indigenous people who are still living and who are victims of like spain's colonial violence not just in the u.s but also all throughout latin america as well like that's that's still an issue so like when i say reparations i am talking about like the entire like kind of colonial white power order in the western hemisphere um as a as african-american yes living in the united states there is a specific claim between us and the U.S. government. That is clear. So, yeah, we're talking about black people here in the U.S. Yeah, there are some who are from the Caribbean. They're from Africa, Latin America. So on a legal term between us and the U.S. government, they wouldn't be included. But the principle of reparations, like, they still deserve reparations. The only difference is, like, like, okay, based on your family lineage, like, you're going to have to pick out, like, you know, which one. So, like, I have a friend who's a, a Puerto Rican. She's black, uh, black Puerto Rican. I think in her case, it might just be like, you know, Spain, right, for slavery. And then also, like, with, you know, the U.S.'s colonization of Puerto Rico, like, there's also that as well. So 
you know, like we all as descendants of enslaved Africans in the diaspora have unique and specific reparations claims, but the principle remains fundamentally clear. And like the global Eurocentric colonial order that still exists today, like that order, I think, has to be completely destroyed to fulfill to the fullest extent the guarantee of non-repetition. Because, yeah, let's say if we get money and we should get money. Uh, one, if that money's not tied to land, then you can't generate wealth, right? So we need land, and that land has to be, like, autonomous from the U.S. government uh, to help rebuild. So, which gets into the issue of self-determination. So, like, we need self-determination, we need land, reparation, financial compensation can help, like, the money can go directly there and we can rebuild, that would be reparations in a sense like, okay, there's like, yeah, a specific autonomous group of people and they're an ethnic group and they're like a sort of autonomous nation. We'll just give the money to re- rebuild that nation of people, right? And then there has to be a guarantee of non-repetition that like you can't have the same system that built by slavery that's still continuing in the forms of like police terrorism, uh, mass incarceration. So like... I think like reparations has to be tied to like a larger demand of like this entire uh white power structure, this this Eurocentric colonial capitalist power structure has to go. Because if it's still around, then the same harm is going to be repeated. And I think some people when they talk about reparations without putting it on the table, without putting a guarantee of non repetition on the table, and without putting self-determination on the table, really what they're calling for, without being explicit, is they just want a settlement check. They want a buyout, which ties into what Germany was doing. It's a settlement check. It's not reparations. And the Heroa and Nama people are very clear that they want reparations and they want they have more a more clear agenda in terms of like what can help them rebuild. And I also believe, like, yeah, like, land for them is on the table. Like, they want the land back. They want financial reparations. And they want no, they don't want this whole, like, joint path to reconciliation. They're not buying that shit. So, I think, yeah, like... There are, yeah, there are still German farmers in Namibia. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. And so, I think, like, I, I, I don't, like, as someone... I, I'm not... I, I don't like this idea of, like, using reparations to heal America. Because there are some people who believe that, who like, we want to heal America. I'm like, why, why the fuck? Why the fuck does that I, matter? Yeah, yeah America <laughs> is one giant. I don't wound. Like, I don't understand how America could ever be healed. Right. Like, what? what is, and why, and why is it, why is it my people's job to heal America? Like, what the fuck? Like, we didn't choose to come here. Our labor was exploited violently to build this country's empire. So... Why should our rightful claim to reparations be used to heal America, the very country that enslaved us in the first place? That, to me, makes no sense. To me, again, that sounds like if people are negotiating from that position, really what they want is a settlement check. They're not looking for like a divorce or autonomy or self-determination or to rebuild and to basically be made whole again as a people. Like, and And I think this is like... This is not, I'm not even limiting this to ADOS. This is not directed specifically to ADOS, but there are some people who use the ADOS like label and who make those arguments. But I'm saying, like, in general, people 
even on the left when they talk about reparations for black people uh i think a lot of them don't know what the fuck they're talking about um i'm not going to name names or, or individuals but it's just i've heard people talk about like you know we need reparations for black people and like you know they saved our ass during a civil war and blah 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 and i'm like well it's not our fucking job to save you like we're talking about reparations for the enslavement of our ancestors our pain our pain shouldn't be used to save other people we have to fix ourselves that's the point of reparations is to heal people who have been harmed and who are still being harmed so america has a responsibility to us it's not the other way around it's not our job to heal america they have a responsibility to us and we to decide the terms of what that is that's the thing we decide the terms we decide what the fuck we want and as someone who's a descendant of enslaved africans brought to the united states like for that and i've i've thought deeply about this about like what i would want and i would want land uh financial compensation in the form of like a massive redistribution of wealth massive on a, a massive fucking scale a guarantee of non-repetition and yeah like real self-determination that's what i want that that to me like when you have all that that's reparations that in its fullest extent satisfying all the the, the main principles of it um that and, and once you have that like it's it would be a long process to recover but that's like a good foundation in it and also when you're negotiating for reparations this is the thing you should never negotiate anything from from a position of weakness like because if you do you'll just get taken advantage of and so um yeah i want i wanted to kind of put that out there because i was thinking because i thought like what the piroa and nama people did by basically telling germany to fuck off like i think that i think there's a lot we could learn learn from them us in the diaspora in terms of when we're demanding reparations i think there's a lot we can learn from them about being firm about like this is what we want and we're going to be very clear and we're not about like this joint path to reconciliation okay because look what what did reconciliation get south africa let's look at south africa right now how's it looking yeah i that that should always <laughs> blew my mind because like it's seen as like oh they were just so incredibly forgiving and everything and it's really more like there were just too many uh, Afrikaner goons who had done unspeakable atrocities to actually lock up. And so, you know, arguably the most evil people on the entire planet, like who did just some of the most horrific things you could possibly think of, all they had to do was just, you know, look the people they harmed in the face and say, I'm really sorry. And, like, this is, like, the model of restorative justice and healing. And it's, like, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I, you know, I understand, you know, people do what they have to do. But I also saying that you can be, you're allowed to be skeptical of it because it is a little bit weird. And it's very weird how it gets hoovered up by, you know, white liberal establishment and nonprofit types as this model of how, like, all, uh, you know, a, systemic oppression and harm can get mitigated uh so yeah yeah, yeah so and um, speaking of systemic harm i guess yeah let's actually so we got a couple we have like like 10 15 minutes left let's uh let's talk about the pandemic um uh just you you mean you mean the you mean the china virus the kung flu <laughs> oh right <laughs> uh yes it's all china it's all it's all china's fault Woo! 
I mean, yeah, this is something that for me, I just wanted to take a few minutes to say because um, especially, you know, all the liberals who are all like, oh, God, how you know, how, how look at Trump being so terrible for being racist about the pandemic. And then Biden is now basically co-signing on the exact same. I don't even, I'm not even going to like it's an insult to conspiracy theorists to call this conspiracy theory it's just pure orientalism and racism oh, the idea. oh and just sorry yeah. just to contextualize so we're talking about so there's a theory yeah. that covid19 originated from a lab in wuhan go. and now people are using that to like s- s- make some claim that like china intentionally china, created yes, the virus china, or china china is responsible uh america did not do this to itself we didn't fuck up because we have a system that prioritizes profit over human lives and we made the decision we made the decision to protect profits over human lives nope it's just the sneaky sneaky chinese who are also incompetent you know typical imperial propaganda your opponent is somehow incredibly devious but also so incompetent that <laughs> um that you know top secret bioweapons uh researchers just, you know, it just slipped into someone's pocket and just fell out. Whoopsie daisies. I mean, I don't actually know if that's better than, you know, Chinese people eat bats. And, you know, the frustrating thing is that there actually are some legitimate questions to be asked, uh, you know, about how this stuff, how it originated and how it, you know, was widespread. But it's so, I mean, the agenda for this is very clearly just racism and uh, militarism. And like, because that that's the whole point, is that, yeah, and speaking of reparations, yes, people, yeah, Republicans are now like, China should pay reparations to us. The absolute nerve of these people. <laughs> absolute nerve. But, you know, for, I mean, for me, it's just so infuriating to see, like, the just, you know, hundreds of thousands of people die, like, millions of people lost their loved ones and like it and it's speak like just already the way people are like oh we're just gonna get back to normal and party up over the summer it's like guys did you not realize what the fuck happened how can you just like how can you just pretend that this didn't happen and just forget about it i mean there's many people for whom that's not an option you can't just forget about it um and like there needs to be an actual understanding America has to actually look in itself and be like, how did we let this happen? Because this is the biggest catastrophe of the 21st century for this country. I mean, we're already, we blew past the amount of people killed in World War II, and we'll probably go past the Civil War by the end of this, because we're already at 600,000. Mm-hmm. And it's not over, is the other thing. It's yes. not over. Um, <laughs> it's not over globally, but everyone just, and I understand why, but it's also like, the height of all solipsism to just be like oh well you know that's over now that was dumb i mean i didn't get to like go on vacation last summer or whatever and it's like no this should i mean if this were like a sane rational society which of course it isn't uh then people would be like wow you know how did how did this happen when like, it is, you know, the examples of other countries, such as Vietnam is probably the best example, show that, like, many, you know, the vast majority of these deaths were preventable. And so how do we let this happen? But no, uh, because that would require actually interrogating <laughs> systems instead of just blaming either alternatively Orange Man or China 
or you know if you're like a real american you, you get to blame both somehow but <laughs> you, you know because americans americans can never look and i don't know it's somehow we're like completely solipsistic but we can never actually interrogate ourselves uh you know i i don't not I'm not including you, Adam, in ourselves. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's just it's just infuriating to me, and I just find it so risable that like the the trauma that people have would be exploited towards uh, more, you know, Cold War bullshit buildup. So, you know, I I'm not sure how much I'm not sure how many legs this has, but. Even motherfuckers like Jonathan Chait are running with this bullshit. And so I think it's gonna it's going to stick around because uh be, yes, because America always pre- prefers, you know, some evil outsider that's the source of all of its problems. Uh and uh and you know, those defense budgets don't fund themselves, so we gotta like have a reason to build more missiles and rockets. So you know, but like blaming China for the deaths of 600,000 people in the United States or the idea that like China would unleash it on themselves first. Right. That, and, that's then, it. and then spread it to the rest of the world. I mean, yes, it's completely ridiculous. That's the that's the thing that really just struck me. I because I don't think China would want to intentionally release a virus like this, that they bore the brunt of first before it spread to like. Yeah, it makes no sense. And also, like, with the lab leak theory, I mean, I think, you know, there are some Western doctors who are there. I mean, there's some, like, fishy shit with even with that theory that to even just, like, a cursory glance, like, I don't think you can blame China for all of it. And it's, I like, there's just too many things that are just too fucking fishy that, um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it was just China who was implicated. I think there are people in the yeah, West who yeah, were implicated. Yeah, well, yeah, yes. I mean, of course, if you say that, then the liberals will just call you an idiot, tanky, or whatever. Uh, but China, <laughs> you know, who's been getting a lot spicier in sort of their like messaging, uh, because they see how deranged the U.S. is becoming towards them. Uh, and they're basically like, yeah, okay, well, then we can both interrogate ourselves and, you know, you should let us uh, have inspectors in your labs, too, like you say you want to do to us, which, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's classic uh, Imperial game where it's like, oh, well, we just want to have, like, inspectors in, you know, we like, like, you know, we because this is for human rights. We just want inspectors. And if you don't allow us to violate your sovereignty in that way well it's because you're a repressive totalitarian dictatorship afraid of the truth and it's like now people see through this shit or at least china sees through this shit uh, a lot of americans don't because they it's it's too painful to admit that this was like preventable and that it was just the failing of the entire system itself that uh allowed it to get as bad as it did uh, people just don't want to admit that because it calls into question every single part of all of our institutions and economic structures and governmental structures. And people aren't ready for that. And I guess the only thing I can say is that, like, 
you better get ready because the 21st century is a lot more fun in store for it. This is just the opening shot. So, you know, you can't blame China for all your problems. Yeah, no. And, uh, yeah, this pandemic is not over. Um, I think California, or at least the Bay Area, like, we're getting close to herd immunity. Like, so people, fortunately, are taking the vaccine seriously, which is good. But, um, you know, like, we're not, globally, we are not out of this pandemic yet. And, um, uh, you know, it, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens next. I mean, I I was hanging out with some friends and we're, and I was just saying like uh, I wasn't say I didn't say like you know things are normal because they're not, but I was saying like you know it's nice to have some sense of at least tranquility. But you know, like given this the scale of this thing, like globally, like you know, not everybody is at that point yet, which just shows like how. You know, it does, like, there is, like, I think, real vaccine apartheid, um, you know, and, and we're, we're yeah. seeing that. And so, yeah, to use that to kind of, like, scapegoat China, which, you know, doesn't make, like, the, you know, the situation of anti-Asian hate crimes, like, any better. That's just, like, adds fuel to the fire. So, um, so... Yeah. Well, but... well, yeah. I mean, you know, the MSNBC crowd will be aghast at Asian hate, but or anti-Asian hate crimes, but then just like go on and on about how, uh, you know, about Oriental despotism, or you know, they they maybe a few drinks in they'll use the word Oriental, but just a whole <laughs> bunch of pictures of a scowling Xi Jinping in front of, you know, or phalanx of chinese military soldiers in front of the picture of mao and that's like the only image of china that exists um and then they wonder why americans are so hateful i mean <laughs> yeah um anyway yeah uh i think that's a good way to sort of end, end yeah. this episode um <laughs> uh, wait do you have any anything else to say uh not really right yeah. now yeah i mean we'll you know um yeah there seems to be some kind of tranquility like by june 15th like everything's gonna be basically open throughout california and uh there's free concerts at stern grove in um this summer so um yeah it'll 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 be interesting also um there's some uh juneteenth uh i mean juneteenth is coming up um little over a week on june 19th and so there's some celebrations in the bay area so i'm going to be playing west african drumming um at one one of my town of residence and there's another one happening as well so i'm gonna try to hit those up and uh yeah and i am involved in a ethnic studies campaign and so i'll keep you guys updated on that um so anyway yeah I think that, that that'll be a good way to end this episode. Uh, yeah, talking mostly about Africa, reparations, the pandemic. So, anyway, yeah, let's do our sign out. Keep the faith. And stay dangerous. All right, take care, everybody. Peace.